some of the key thoughts from last week. Remember the key verse was that without holiness, no one will see God. When the Bible speaks of holiness, it describes a unique relationship that God established and desires to have with his people. Holiness involves the ideas of intimacy and separation. A separation from the many and a devotion to one. It's apart from. It's not ordinary. It's not common. It's different. Leviticus chapter 26 kind of describes, verse 12 describes this. God says, I will be your God. I'll be your God. And you will be my people. I'd like you for just a moment to imagine that in all the ramifications that accompany when God says, I will be yours and you will be mine. Think about that for a moment. The God of the universe says, I'll be yours. I'll be yours. I'll belong to you. I'll be your treasured possession. You'll have me and I will have all of you. That's God's desire for the church. That's God's desire for our relationship, that he would have all of you. You'll be mine. It's this idea of him having all of us. Imagine just the implications of what that means. Imagine what God can do through a life that's fully surrendered to him. When he really has all of you, you'll be mine. Imagine what could happen in a person's life. I'm trying to wrap my mind around this when God says, I'll be your God. I'll be yours. I'll be yours. Imagine what could happen in a person's life if a person could truly have God. I know that he's so big that none of us could possess him. But he says, I'll be yours and you'll be mine, is what he says. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 26 says, you shall be, would you mind reading this with me? And you shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Let's read it one more time. And you shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Think about that for a moment. When we talk about holy, it, once again, it's this idea of devoted, set apart, different. You're set apart. So God says, you shall be devoted or set apart for me because I am set apart. And I have set you apart so that you would be mine. I want you to understand this. When we talk about holiness, a lot of times people think about people with weird clothes. They think about a whole list of things that they can't do. But when we think about holiness, here's our first point. Holiness is about relationship. When we talk about holiness, when God says about holiness, it's really about relationship. I'm yours and you're mine. Holiness and relationship are intertwined. You really can't have holiness without relationship or a relationship with God without holiness. Remember what it says? Without holiness, no one shall see God. No man shall see God. As I said, for the scripture says, without it, no man shall see God. When our understanding of holiness degenerates 
into a list of things that we have to do or that we can't do, I believe that we've missed the point. Because holiness starts with relationship. It starts with being set apart for God to God. Okay? And it starts with this idea of Him being ours, our God, and us being His. He's our treasured possession. We're His treasured possession. So the first thing when we talk about holiness, we want you to understand this. It's about relationship. Okay? If you're trying to do it some other way, it's not going to work. If you're trying to make it into something else, there's a lot of people who are moral, as I said last week. They have morality. They've set up some things in their life where they just say, I won't do it. There's some really evil people who have certain things set up where, oh, I would never do that. Oh, no, no, I would never do that. They have their list of things that they wouldn't do. Holiness starts with relationship. The second thing. Holiness is about what Jesus has done. Look to the person next to you. Say, it's about what Jesus has done. It's about what he has done. Let me go back a minute for holiness on relationship. When something's set apart, it's relation. In relation to, when something's been set apart, it's where it stands in relation to. If something's been apart, there's that relation. And so holiness is about relationship. Holiness, secondly, is about what Jesus has done. Paul wrote in Colossians, and you can turn there, the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and it says this. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is about Christ being preeminent. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The next two verses I underlined in my notes. And this is what it says. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusations. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard And that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, I want you to go back to verses 21 and 22. I want to read those to you once more. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. That's the state that they used to be in. He says at one point, 
you were God's enemies. You were separated from God. You were in opposition to God in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now look at the verse, the next verse. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. You hear that? You're holy in his sight. You've been reconciled to God through Jesus' body. That you are without blemish and you are free from accusations. We cannot have a conversation about holiness without talking about the goodness of Jesus. You know, there's an old song. I, I don't know why every time I preach I bring up an old song. When I think of the goodness of Jesus... And what he's done for me. My very soul cries out, hallelujah. Praise the Lord for saving me. Here's the reality. You were lost. And Jesus came and found you. We were spiritually blind. And he opened our eyes and he has allowed us to see. We were enemies of God because of our sin and our rebellion. What chance... What chance on earth, what chance in eternity can a mere mortal have against God? If God is your enemy, is there any way that a mere mortal could possibly stand against God? There would be no hope, no hope at all. All that would wait that person would be death and destruction. But you and I have been reconciled to God Through the blood, according to scripture, we've been reconciled, we've been made right with God. The division that had stood between us, the problem that stood between us, those things have been made right. We've been put back into proper relationship with Jesus, with God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, that Jesus shed upon a cross. That's why they sing that song, So I'll Cherish The old rugged cross. It is not the wood. There's anything special about the wood. It's not the shape of that, what it represents. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for your sin and mine. It's that blood that he shed upon the cross that brings peace between us and God. You cannot talk about holiness and have a clear understanding of holiness without Focusing upon the goodness of Jesus. You cannot possibly, if you try to talk about holiness and leave out the goodness of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the love of Jesus, it it just becomes a heavy weight, a heavy burden upon you. But when we talk about holiness, we got to talk about how good he is and what he's done for you. Listen to this. Because of Jesus' death upon the cross, God now declares you to be holy in his sight. When you by faith have appropriated the blood of Jesus upon the cross in a sacrifice, when you by faith and with your mouth have made confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and you've believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, God declares you, he says their debt is paid, and God declares you to be holy in his sight without blemish. But you're without blemish in God's sight. And you are free from accusations. Romans 8.33, I love that. 
portion of scripture. Because a lot of times when we talk about holiness, a lot of times people will look at themselves or they'll look at their person who they're around. Well, especially when we get mad at them. Do you know what I mean? Most of the time we're okay. But if someone ticks you off and now, so they're a Christian, huh? Huh? Yeah. Listen, listen to what the word says. There's a lot of those accusations. There's a lot of accusations that the enemy tries to bring against you. There's a lot of accusations that the world tries to bring. The funny thing is, if you have a person who's a Christian, they don't do what the backslidden person wants them to do. One thing as a pastor, there's been different times where I've taken to heart some things people have said. And people are always really nice to me. But once in a great while, you'll have someone who's, they'll say something. And sometimes those things sting a little bit. But when a backslidden person tries to give you advice, they're not even right with God. And they're going to tell you how to pastor a church. Dude, why don't you get your life right with God? Why don't you quit living in sin? Why don't you start walking in holiness? Then I want to hear what you have to say. Okay? But if you're living in rebellion against God, and I see that sometimes with people who they're in a backslidden state, and someone in their circle of influence, oh, well, they're a Christian. And they have all of these things that they pick apart about Christians or the church. They need to shut their mouth. They need to shut their mouth because they're not in a place or you need to shut your ears to that because they're not in a place to tell you anything, okay? Not that we can't learn, but please understand, when you're in a backslidden state, you're not in a place to give advice on how to live for God. But there's all of these accusations, these fiery darts that the enemy brings against you. Pastor's talking about holiness and, oh, I don't know if I want to go this week. We're going to talk about holiness because... I got all these areas where I, I need to grow in, all these things that I know I've fallen short. I remember the things that happened in my past. So how could I ever be holy, some people would say. My life circumstances aren't perfect. My kids aren't doing the right thing. My, my spouse isn't doing the right thing. My job, it's a mess. It's all these things that are going on. How can we talk about holiness? Well, we can talk about holiness because it's about relationship. We can talk about holiness because we can talk about how good God is and what Jesus has done for us. And so the question in Romans 8, it says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Who has a right to condemn? When God has justified somebody, when God has called you righteous, When God has said you've been forgiven. Now, we have to have humble hearts. And we can't be, one of the things we have to be very careful of as believers is if we've done something wrong and someone comes to us and says to us, we can't have a prideful heart. And I hope that didn't come across. Not that we can't have a teachable spirit. When God has justified you, when God has declared you holy and righteous, you don't have to worry very much about what other people say. It says, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding. He's making intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution? Hey, if these things come your way, if you have troubles, if you face a time of difficulties, of hardship, if you face a time of persecution, or a time of lack, or he says, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, 
For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are, we barely make it by. Is that what it says? Now, in all these things, you face a financial difficulty. Someone turns on you. You face a hard time. Well, you might barely make it by. It says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. Anything else in all of creation pretty much covers everything, right? That nothing else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's a powerful word. That's a powerful scripture. Finally, so just quickly, holiness is about relationship. I've been set apart to God. He's called me. I belong to him. You belong to him. Holiness is about what Jesus has done, what he did upon the cross, this incredible sacrifice, how good he's been to us, that he has redeemed us. And finally, holiness, and we're going to talk more about it in weeks to come. Holiness is about being useful and ready. Being useful and ready. 2 Timothy chapter 2.21 says, Therefore... If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And our other version says, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, you notice that will be useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. The book of Nehemiah bears the name of an exile in captivity. Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer, an honored yet stressful position. If the king likes you, it's great. If you mess up, sometimes on the job, you're like, well, maybe like I'm on the chopping block. Your head is literally, not figuratively, on the chopping block, if you mess up as the king's cupbearer. You don't want to do that. He's the king's cupbearer, and he is in exile, and he runs into some men from Judah, and he asks them for news of the remnant that have survived the exile, and he asks them for news about what's going on in Jerusalem. The news that he receives is bad news. The people are in trouble and disgraced. The wall has been torn down. The gates have been burned. The gates of the city have been burned. It lies in ruins. The place that bears the name of the Lord. I'm talking to somebody. The the place that bears the Lord's name lies in ruins. Do you realize that you bear his name? Huh? He said, she's mine. He's mine. He's put his name upon you. You belong to him. When Nehemiah hears this, he begins to do what we did this week. He begins to fast. Nehemiah weeps. He has to sit down. He sits down. He starts weeping. He declares a fast. He prays. During the times of fasting and prayer, he begins to repent. And that's what happens when you fast and pray. 
Because the Holy Spirit will bring things to light you need to repent of, that you need to confess to the Lord. It's cleansing. It's good. It keeps you spiritually healthy. It keeps you spiritually strong. It's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a purifying thing. And so he begins to pray and to fast, and he repents for his sins, and he repents for the sins of the people. I don't know if the Holy Spirit brought it to his... I'm sure that he must have. The Holy Spirit brought to his mind the promises because he begins to recount the promises of the Lord. God told him that if the people sinned and they disobeyed, they'd be carried off into captivity. They would suffer greatly. But if they repented, God would restore them. And it didn't matter how far away they had gone. God would bring them back to that land. Well, that's good there. As he's standing there, as he's doing that, he's praying, he's seeking the Lord. This is over a period of time. And then he feels prompted to approach the king. And so he prays and he asks the Lord for favor. He approaches the king. The king allows him to go. When he arrives in Jerusalem, he goes out by himself at night and surveys the damage that's there. And they start rebuilding the wall. Read Nehemiah 1 through 6. You can, on your way home, turn it on. You'll enjoy that. They start rebuilding the wall. There are many obstacles. There's opposition The men at one point are, you know, they divide them up and each person takes the place close to their house. And they have to stand there with their brothers and sisters and their family. They work together as a family unit, another powerful imagery. And as they're rebuilding the wall, they have to, literally at a certain point, they have to have a sword in one hand to be ready to fight their enemies and a tool in the other. They don't get to leave the thing at night. They have to stay there for protection and so there's this opposition that comes their way. There's a couple guys, Sambala, Tobiah, and Geshem. They tried to intimidate Nehemiah. They hired another guy to try to convince him. They started making these accusations and they tried to intimidate him. And then they tried something else. They hired this guy and this guy tried to get Nehemiah to go into the temple and lock the door. He said, there's guys who are coming to kill you. They're going to kill you. They're going to take your life. And so he wanted Nehemiah to go and lock himself in the temple. But Nehemiah said, should a man like me hide? Should someone like me run away? And I want to read the portion here to you. Nehemiah said this. His reply to those men the first time in Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 3. They tried to get him to be distracted. They tried to get him to stop. Nehemiah said, I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And then the other part, as they're working on the wall and and they tried to get him to go into the temple to hide there. And and remember last week I talked about how sometimes in the church, people, they're afraid of being defiled by unsaved people or by the world. You don't have to be afraid. Here's the thing. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalai had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Okay, this idea of being discredited or this idea of coming down. Nehemiah said this. They tried to get him off of his game. And he said, what I'm doing 
is too important for me to come down. I want you to understand this. You've been called to a high calling. Remember what our third point was? Our third point was holiness is about being useful and ready. Useful to God. You have been called to a high calling. God has a divine purpose for your life. You've been set apart for him to accomplish good works, which God in advance prepared for you to do. When we talk about holiness, it's vital that you don't come down off of that high place, that wall that God has placed you on, where he said, this is your calling. This is what I have for you. I've set you apart. I've given you this task to do for me. When we walk in holiness, it prepares us for good works. It gives us strength to be able to do what God has called us to do. But when you come down off of that wall... When you get down into the muck and the dirt with everybody else, that's not where God intended us to be. When we leave behind that place of my position in Christ and my intimacy with him, and I allow myself to be defiled by pursuing the things of the world or by running away from God's call upon my life, holiness sets me apart so that I'm ready to do what God has called me to do. And you can speak. When God tells you to speak, you're able to speak it with an anointing. And when God tells you to serve, you're able to do it from a place. When we come down from there, our reputation is tarnished. That's what he said. Should someone like me run from this call to holiness? No, you shouldn't run from the call to holiness. You shouldn't run from that place of being devoted to the Lord. That's where God has called you. Because from that place, you're able to effectively represent him and serve him. And you're able to do the good works that he called you to do. Father, today, I thank you for the call of God upon my friends. I thank you for what Jesus has done for us upon the cross and how good you've been. I thank you it's about relationship. Lord, I pursued my wife. But Lord, you pursued us. What an honor it is to be pursued by God, that God seeks after us, that God calls us to a place of being set apart and fully devoted to him. We belong to you, Lord. It's our position. And you promise that you'll be our God. You're ours. You're the treasured possession. So, Father, I pray that as we leave here today, I ask you, Father, that we be able to walk in holiness And that we would understand what Jesus has done for us. That it's who we are. I'm holy because he's declared me to be. I'm holy because of the blood that Jesus shed. I'm holy. I'm set apart because God has a work for me to do and accomplish. He's already prepared it. Now I just need to walk it out. Be glorified today, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.